Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Texas could be back, but here comes the hard part. Also, Baylor and Texas Tech cannot pick up the big wins they need. And a lot more from a big day in the Big 12 Conference. I am Josh Neighbors. This is the Neighborhood Watch here on Crystal Ball College Football, part of 365 Sports. You all might say, Josh, you are not in the normal studio. Why is that? Massive flooding in my apartment right now. So... I am at the radio station at which I work, 1037 The Buzz here in central uh, Arkansas in Little Rock. I'm recording the audio onto a computer. I'm doing the video, and I have the audio running as backup. So we're piecing it together this morning after some massive flooding in my apartment. There are fans all over the place from a company that came in. So it's been a hectic weekend, but yet here we are. Thankfully, we had some Big 12 football to kind of be a break for me, and hopefully it was a break for you all from whatever else is going on in your lives. Make sure you guys subscribe to the channel. We hit the goal of 12,000 subscribers. Thank everybody. I want to thank everybody who has subscribed to the Crystal Ball College Football channel. The Neighborhood Watch is the best place to get Big 12 content five-plus days a week. You all can follow me on X slash Twitter at Josh Neighbors underscore at NWPod365 is the show. If you all are following my Twitter picks along, uh, and you all had a good day yesterday, a 4-2 and two day after a 3-2 and two week one. Our winners yesterday were Baylor plus 7.5, Kansas State minus 15, Iowa minus 4, Texas plus 7.5. Losers were Pitt minus 6.5, and, and then Houston plus Eight. So a good day yesterday on those. We are now, let's see, doing quick math, seven and four on the season so far in two weeks. You guys can get those picks there. Also, uh, CBS Sports, Pick'em, Neighborhood Watch. The password is watch. That's where you all can join in on the fun picking these games. All right, let's get to it. A massive weekend in the Big 12 Conference, and uh, we have to start in Tuscaloosa, Oh, Texas. Are they back? I mean, look, guys, Texas beats Alabama 34 to 24. Um, I picked Texas to win this game uh, yesterday on a radio show on, on Friday. Uh, I love them plus seven and a half. 
and here is why. Sark is a really good big game coach. I feel like these two teams are relatively even on talent level, and we saw especially up front, it was actually a pretty even matchup. Texas' defensive line did a really good job against Alabama's offensive line, and Alabama's offensive line did not play that well, to be quite frank. And then on the other side, you know, you saw the same thing happen. I mean, Texas' offensive line really did hold up and pass protection pretty well. Running the football, yeah, it wasn't excellent all day, but I thought they had some moments. They were able to effectively move the football at some points. 2.8 yards per carry doesn't tell that story, but they were able to get some chunks, especially Jonathan Brooks thought he had a pretty decent day. Um, And so they were able to get some timely runs I will say, and they were able to move a six. They really did do a good job of staying ahead of schedule. I heard the cover three guys breaking things down. They mentioned, hey, look, Texas was moving the ball on first down. You're nearly like seven or eight yards per play on first down for the Longhorns. So they were kind of in that range. They were really doing a good job of staying ahead of the sticks, ahead of schedule. And I thought their game plan was fantastic. And so when everything was pretty even, I took the team that I thought had the better quarterback. And, you know, you saw the skill position players, guys. Those wide receivers that Texas had, you know, we know that Ohio State is the best uh, receiver room in the country. But when you factor in quarterback plus receivers, there's really no school that rivals Texas besides, I would say, maybe Washington and USC when you factor in both of those things. Because for Ohio State, the quarterback was a massive question mark going into the year. When you factor in the type of the caliber of receiver and the quarterback, I mean, JT Sanders is a, you know, he's a tight end, but his pass catcher, you know, Adani Mitchell, AD Mitchell had a massive game. You know, he caught those two touchdowns. Xavier Worthy should have had more than one, dropped a couple, but Whittington had some big pickups that moved the sticks as well. But they've got all of these variety of pass catchers that are really good, and that's why I, I favored them in this game. And look, for the, the thing for Texas is, you know, we'll keep talking about this as, as we move forward throughout the week, but the big sticking point I have for Texas is they could have put Alabama away a little bit earlier. Now, Alabama did miss some opportunities. I think when they were up four, they had a wheel route that I forgot if Milrow, I think Milrow overthrows a wheel route on the right side. You know, chance to get away there, right? But 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 the thing is, they had a tough time, Texas did, bringing down Milrow all night, and that's the trade-off with him. He is a tremendous, tremendous runner. He's really difficult to bring down, and he does make some good throws. But he is not a consistent passer just yet. Uh, he's not at that point. So you take the good, and the good for Bama's case is he's able to extend plays and keep things alive. And for an offensive line that's underperformed in recent years, and we especially saw that with Bryce Young, for an offensive line that has underperformed in recent years, it's nice to have a guy who can do those things for you. It's really nice to have a guy who can who can kind of bail you out of those situations. But the trade-off is that, you know, and, and Milrow is not Bryce Young, the trade-off is that you're not always going to be the most accurate. Bryce Young made some mistakes, but you're a pretty accurate thrower on the run. That's why uh, if you're watching this, you know, uh, after Sundays, you know, you're seeing him start with the Carolina Panthers, number one overall pick. Milrow's not that guy, at least not yet, right? We've seen guys like Jalen Hurts, who is a really good runner, good athlete, who had some accuracy issues, can flourish into really good players. But, uh, you know, even in college, Hurts was a very good player, obviously. But still, there are some clear holes in his game. The NFL, you know, he's in a great system and whatnot, but he shored up some of those issues that he had before. Milrow needs to do that. And I don't know if they have a better quarterback on the roster, but Texas able to take advantage because 
when it mattered most, their execution was what mattered. And Quinn Ewers, 24-38 for 349 and three scores in this game. He is clearly developing. He is clearly on the right page with Steve Sarkeesian. And he's getting older and he's getting more mature and he's got all that talent. And he throws these really good balls. Basically, I mean, they're kind of almost on the hash marks those inside throws that he makes, he lobs in the air. He's got great touch. We saw one last year in the Alabama game that Worthy drops in the back. I think it was Worthy in the back of the end zone, the middle of the end zone, that was right in the basket. He's so good with those over-the-top balls. And so the the key for Texas now is they've won a big game. They've won big games, though, in the past. This is the best team in the Big 12. The question for them now is... That you've, you know, everybody wants to be Texas all the time. Sure, they usually have a target. But now Texas is kind of firmly that best team in the Big 12, at least through two weeks. But the thing is, we knew it coming in how good the roster was. We saw them approaching in the rearview mirror last year. And with the drop-off at some other schools this year and kind of the lack of elevation from the Baylors and Texas Techs of the world this year, that gap or that perceived gap is there. So the the bullseye on the back of the uh, of the Longhorn jersey has gotten a little bit bigger, in my opinion, the last few weeks. And they're about to hit a stretch. They got Wyoming at home. Wyoming's a decent team. Um, we saw them against Texas Tech, at Baylor, Kansas, against Oklahoma in Dallas and Houston. So this is that pivotal stretch. Of the season because guys, if they navigate that, they get BYU at home, they get K State at home, they're at TCU, at Iowa State, and then Texas Tech in that final game of the year. There's a whole lot. I mean, there are ten games left, but this big stretch that they're about to embark on, if they clear Wyoming, which we think that they will, it's going to tell us a whole lot about this team. But they would they go to Alabama, guys. They get the win, and um, you know. I, I, I think we were all afraid of it if you're a Big 12 fan for some reasons, but they're still a Big 12 team, and I think we have to give them credit that there has been no more impressive result in the Big 12, obviously, this year than going to Alabama and being there. Whatever you think of Alabama, the fact that Texas rose to the occasion, the fact that they look they look you know impressive at the places they need to look impressive. Those recruiting classes and that focus that Sark put on the offensive and defensive lines is has very much paid off, I, I think, uh, and... The, the acquisition of skill talent, that is important. But you need to win at the line of scrimmage, and they won this game enough at the line of scrimmage and got the quality of play enough at those other positions, especially yours, uh, where it was super meaningful. And that, that is why they won this game. So I cannot overstate this, and, and, and that's why I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked about this result. Um, and a lot of you all have hit me up saying, Josh, they're going to falter. That's what they do. It's Texas. Yeah, I mean, they might. Like, I actually, I don't think it's going to be a perfect season for them. But once again, after this result, guys, there's no doubt about it. This team not only needs to be in Arlington at the end of the year for this to be a success, they need to raise that trophy for this season to be a success. Because we've seen, you know, we, we thought about what's going to be in this conference, the rest of the, the, rest of the league, in the offseason. And now we've seen it. And I think through two weeks, small sample size, but how do you argue with the results considering what we knew in the offseason? All right, Oregon holds off Texas Tech. So we're going to get to the Texas Tech and the Baylor results here kind of in, in, in relatively quick succession. And then we'll get to Cincinnati because that's a massive positive we have to get to. Texas Tech, guys, they falter against uh, Oregon at home. Oregon ends up pulling out this win in Lubbock. Final score in this one, 38-30. Tyler Shuck, 
That pick six, not good. Uh, you know, at the end of the game, obviously gets hit in that game. But the problem for them is there's a lot of volatility right now. The, Tech ran the ball pretty well in this game, and they had some moments. But it feels like Texas Tech, because of pacing, because of um, plus quality, because it's just like they're just not reliable enough, right? It, we're not at the point right now where Texas Tech is a reliable enough team. So while I felt like they were going to give Oregon a great challenge. Uh, maybe a little bit less so towards the end of the week. Like they stepped up and, and they did provide that challenge, but Bo Nix was really strong. The running game for Oregon like wasn't excellent, but still covering those wide receivers, uh, you know, was a challenge for for Texas Tech. And this was a fun game that went back and forth, but still, it, it just at the end of the day, like you know, Oregon was ten of eighteen on third down, so obviously good enough there. They had four hundred seventy two total yards of offense. They were you know uh, eight point two yards per pass, three point six in the rush. They committed a lot more penalties, but the problem was, despite the fact that it was 14-6 to 6 in the penalty category, those four Texas Tech turnovers were the difference. The fact they had three and had the ball with a chance to win the game does speak to Texas Tech's potential and potential quality. But the problem, much like their 17 nothing lead last week against Wyoming, speaks to their potential and their quality. It is about the play-to-play, drive-to-drive moments. And look, I know there are going to be runs in every Texas Tech game. I understand that. You know, if you look at this box score, I actually think box scores don't always tell the story. But think about it like this, guys. The first quarter, Oregon was a plus eight. The next quarter, we had Texas Tech at a plus three. Then we had Texas Tech at a plus 14 margin, in the third quarter, and then the fourth quarter, we had the Ducks at a plus 17 margin, right? So you get a plus eight, a plus three is, you know, more, tor- but it's the other way, right? So, you know, it's a plus three margin, it's a plus 14 margin in that direction, and it's a plus 17. So you see the wild swings of not emotion, but of points and of scoring and of momentum in these games. Look, momentum, you know, you'd say whatever you want about it. You know, it's not tangible, whatever it is. But, like, you think, look at these drives, you know, okay, uh, touchdown, touchdown, punt, touchdown, touchdown. Then we had a punt, 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 fumble, field goal, missed field goal. Like, these games, they have these swings, them like they fall into these into these rhythms. And, uh, you know, this the second half of this game was a lot of fun. I mean, you had this you had this uh, section where it was a you know, tech forces interception, then a turnover on downs. Oh, tech throws interception, excuse me. Then they force turnover on downs. Then a tech touchdown, Oregon touchdown, tech turnover on downs, field goal, field goal, field goal, pick six, then a pick on the, uh, on, on the um, Texas Tech side of things, you know, like, this game was a really fun, wild uh, pick six uh, Oregon's way by the way, uh, a wild back and forth game. But that's the problem. And Tech might catch you on some of those. But if Tech wants to get where they want to go, they've got to find a way to settle down paces of games and and uh, execute in those margins because it feels like right now they're not doing that. And look. I think Tyler Shuck's a really good quarterback, guys. I don't know about a guy that you can ask to throw the ball 40 times a game that also can run. And look, he I think he carried it 23 times, but if you take out the four, the, the number of sacks, it's around the 19, 17 to 19 range. Um, they run him a lot, and that was a concern that I have. Like, I think about Sam Ellinger in the past, and the one issue I had with the usage of Sam Ellinger at Texas was a lot of running 
compromised what I thought was a lesser passing game. And Sam Ellinger, a little bit better of a runner, I would say, than Tyler Shuck is. Not as good of a passer. Uh, Shuck, more of a better passer than a runner, but still a very good runner, right? But you got to think, like, you know, you there is a cost to be paid for taking those hits during a game. And when you're asking a guy to throw 40 times a game, and he's got a pretty good arm, Tyler Shuck does, like, the accuracy, in my opinion, at least, in my opinion, suffers a little bit. And the you know the arm strength you know just the consistency suffers a little bit too just because you are taking this hit and and he delivers some hits too and we've seen Chuck be banged up before so I just doubt that he can make it through a season when you ask a guy to tote the ball and you know, he ends up toting it plus the sacks twenty three times and we're attempting thirty eight passes and he's got to be better too but I I don't know what the answer is. You know, especially if they can't run the football. But, like, Taj Brooks did run the ball pretty well. But the problem is a running back, Taj Brooks, only has six carries. And so I know the passing game is the running game for them sometimes, but they need to be able to settle these games down a bit more, in my opinion. And we'll look at some more of this stuff as the week rolls along and as the season rolls along. But, like, you look at their drives. You know, they had a nice five-and-a-half-minute drive in this game. Uh, but outside of that, you know, th- there are no long sustained score in, a- in another five-minute drive. So the long sustained drives, and a bit more of those – and maybe just an opportunity to shorten games up so there's not as much volatility within the game because they do make mistakes. They are not a clean enough football team at this point in time to play at the pace that they are playing at and beat top-level competition. It'll work against a lot of teams. The thing is, like, you look at these losses, guys. I know the pick six at the end makes it an eight-point game. Um, you know, I know, I know that's what we that's what it ends eventually ends up making it, but you know. Uh, this was a ba- this was a one score game, but so was the game against Wyoming, and they're losing in those margins. They're close. They're close. But the issue is for them, you know, the res- the the results they want to be better than this, and so you can say like there actually are some positives to take. The issue is it feels like Texas Tech is going to play a lot more of these games. They have Tarleton next week, and then on the road at West Virginia. Uh, and the game that I think they should win, but I think West Virginia and Neil Brown know like how important that game's going to be you know, for him trying to keep his job. So that's huge. Uh, it's going to be a huge game. All right, let's go Baylor next. So Baylor can't hang on against Utah. Uh, let's go pass interference first. That's pass interference in the end zone for Baylor, no doubt about it. I've got my shirt, my Baylor Bear shirt on. Uh, I saw some calls cross country, and look, it, you can't take calls from one game and apply it to other games, but. Calls within context, right? You know, each game is its own game. Strike zone is different, and every every umpire, you just hope the umpire is consistent. But to me, that was pretty obvious. That was a pass interference at the end of the game. I think that would have been, not sure if it would have been half the distance situation, but that would have put them in a you know a spot where they could have gone to the end zone. So Baylor did at least, uh, you know, deserve at least one more play in this game. That being said, um, their defense was very strong up until a certain point, right? They did a good job holding Bryson Barnes and the Utah offense down. But when Nate Johnson came in, you know, that the Baylor had been seeing one thing all day long, and they see something different, and that's what killed them. They, they, they could not. I mean, Nate Johnson was a, it was a beast. Jaquindon Jackson had a very good day. But when this game got down to, you know what, cutting time, they just were not, they were not good enough, kind of in those margins I mentioned before. But, um... Yeah, I I think that for Baylor, like this is an O and two where they were much more competitive this week than they were last week. 
and there's a strong argument too if Cam, if Blake Shapen plays, they win the game. But you know what? Cam Rising was out the other way around, and so we have to factor that in too. Uh, Baylor ran the ball a lot better this week than they did last week, right? Uh, you know, uh, Richard Reese only ran for seven yards of carry, and I was uh, three yards of carry. Excuse me, and I was asking for more out of him. Uh, but Dominic Richardson, you know, five and a half yards per carry, but he's just not explosive enough. The Baylor rushing attack is not explosive enough. And Sawyer Robertson, not good enough yet. You know, against a Utah defense, you know, the good news for him, he was at home, but not good enough yet. The decision-making is not all the way there, or not all the way there. It's not close to being there yet. They were not good enough on third down in these games. And look, yards per pass, they were effective, but it's not an offense right now that can effectively move the ball down the field the way Dave Aranda and company want to. And so you look at Texas Tech, you look at Baylor, and like kind of the same thought about these games. They both welcomed in top 15 teams out of the Pac-12 conference in these big home settings following losses, and they just got out-executed in the big moments. They made more mistakes in Utah and, uh, and, and Oregon. Uh, with you know coaches who are winning coach well uh, you know we'll, we'll see about Oregon uh, obviously Dan Lanning is pretty new there but we feel like Dan Lanning's gonna have a shot to win a lot of games at Oregon and then Kenny Dillingham but Dan Lanning got up got to go against another younger coach and I mean younger in his head coaching career in the D1 college level in Joey McGuire uh, but you know like Kyle Whittingham's team had a bit better execution and next man up was the the thing for them because. You know, the next man up, they had, whether it be injury, whether it be because of situation, like they needed to turn to Nate Johnson and, and Utah's program building, the fact that they went to Bryson Barnes and it worked for them against Florida in the season opener, and they needed to turn to Nate Jackson, uh, Nate Johnson rather, a really talented guy that they've got, you know, I think he's just, what, a sophomore at this point, a freshman, uh, Nate Johnson, a redshirt freshman. They were able to turn to a quarterback like a Nate Johnson, who I believe was a top 100 player in this moment, shows you how good of a program Kyle Whittingham's built. They've got that kind of guy they can rely on. And so that's why Utah is going to come into this league and has a very good chance to be a force in this league from the word go. Now, Utah's schedule, they have at Oregon State and at USC and Oregon and at Washington I mean, they've got a lot of difficult games and some of them on the road, but this proved how good of a pro... That's a winning culture right there. And Dave Aranda has not been able to repeat that winning culture the way he has wanted to at Baylor past that 2021 season. They had a 500 year last year that ended below 500 because of the bowl result, and this year they're off to an 0-2 start. And injuries, whatever, say what you want, but Utah had those two, and Utah is not there. So... um, the hot seat, yeah, I mean, like, it's starting to get warmer for Dave Aranda at Baylor. They need to figure something out in a hurry. But I'm not I'm not saying you got to, like, you don't have to fire him immediately. I know, I know we overreact sometimes, but we know Dave Aranda's teams can improve. They need to improve talent-wise in some spots, though, on, on defense. They need to get, I mean, more physical. This is not as physical as we'd like to see him. But this is a Baylor group, guys, that's staring down one and three. They've got Texas coming to uh you know coming to the uh, coming to McLean Stadium on the 23rd then they go to UCF then they have Texas Tech at home then they're at Cincinnati we'll get to them in one second but that is a tough schedule uphill sledding and in Blake shape and in my opinion cannot get healthy fast enough all right Cincinnati guys this was this to me was a really surprising result 
today, uh, yesterday rather. Cincinnati beats Pitt twenty-seven to twenty-one. Emory Jones in this game was ten. Oh, excuse me. Uh, he was uh, um, eighteen for twenty-six for one twenty-five and two scores. One uh, int. At one point, though, it was twenty-eight to seven, and Cincinnati had rushed to the tune of seven. I think it was like seven point two yards per carry. They took it to Pitt in the early part of this game, and then they held up later on in this game. Corey Kiner was great. The offensive line was great. The defensive line was great. I mean, Phil Jerkovic can move a little bit, but they sack Phil Jerkovic five times. They have eight tackles for a loss. Uh, the, the, you know, the defensive line for Cincinnati was extremely disruptive and you know they were they were in the backfield all day long. Emory Jones was not fantastic, but guys, he made some big throws. That's that uh, he made one on the run moving to his right that he dropped into a bucket on the right side of the end zone. I forgot who it was to there uh on the touchdown reception. I I don't know if it was I think it was Braden Smith um that he that he made the throw to, but he drops that one in the bucket to Braden Smith, moving to his right from like the 25-yard line, I think it was. And it was just a gorgeous throw. And you're seeing that, look, man, this this Cincinnati team, and then they heard everything people were saying about them. They get Miami of Ohio at home next week. If they take care of that game, Cincinnati is 3-0, and they will be hosting Oklahoma at home on the 23rd of September. Oklahoma goes to Tulsa this week, so they should be able to take care of that game. But Cincinnati might be an unexpected 3-0. Now, once again, that Pitt game was you know a massive thing for them. But they won this game on the road, guys. That was at Pitt. So Scott Satterfield did a really good job. I mean, scheming this. Like, this thing got hairy late, but their team, they held on. They made the plays they had to. They stopped drives when they had to. I, I'm not sure what... Uh, the final numbers were on fourth down. Let me look really, really fast. Um, oh, third down, excuse me. But third and fourth down combined, uh, Pitt in this game was seven for seventeen. Right, so you know it's not it's not terrible, but they were five for fourteen on third down. It was five point six yards per attempt in the passing category. Threw for one hundred seventy nine yards only, so they really slowed uh, Phil Dracovic down. And Cincinnati was also the cleaner team in this game. By a little bit as well, and they were the better rushing team up front in this game. So Pat Narduzzi, that you know, is uh, is a guy that really is focused on winning in the trenches and a bit more regressive as an offensive guy. Um, you know, like uh, tough day for Jacoby. He was ten for thirty-two, three through for three scores, but you know, ten completions, three touchdowns on thirty-two attempts is kind of just a weird day at the yard. So Cincinnati, I'm not sure how good they are. But they look better than we thought, and the fact that they were able to kind of give the momentum away to a program as a pretty good program was very impressive to me. Uh, so, yeah, Cincy, I meant to put that one up there. Cincy, and then uh, Gundy, pick a quarterback, buddy. Uh, yeah, this was one of those late-night results that not everybody saw, but they turned the tide late. The defense for Oklahoma State steps up 27-15 to final score in the desert. Three quarterbacks played. It was Garrett Rangel who closed things out. They combined to be 22 of 32 for 191 in the score. Bowman 11 for 16 for 113. Rangel 6 for 946 in a score. Gundy 
five of seven, thirty-two, and a score. Guys, I, I think it needs to be Garrett Rangel. I, I, I know he's, I know on a down-to-down basement, may not trust him for the whole game, but this breaking things up into third things, like you can't keep doing it. Ollie Gordon is really good. I know we thought he would be really good, but Ollie Gordon, to me, has been extremely impressive. He was 5.9 a carry. Jaden Nixon was 6.1 a carry. Even Elijah Collins was pretty decent, too. And they had a really decent, uh, nice night running the football if you take out what they did in the in the sack category. And then they were disruptive enough. They had three sacks. They had eight tackles for loss in this game. And so I thought they got after the quarterback a little bit as well. They won that uh, that turnover battle, right? They forced a turnover from ASU. They were a bit more of the penalized team. You know, it's, they don't always love to see that, but they were a bit more effective passing the football. They got off the field enough, and on fourth down, they won this football game. They uh, only allowed one conversion and five different fourth down attempts. They brought really good pressure on some fourth down attempts and made Jaden Rashada make quick throws that were not good enough or made rush throws. So, in a game between a lower-level Pac-12 team on the road in a hot environment when Oklahoma State is still trying to find their identity, they got punched in the mouth earlier, but they get the win. And I'm not surprised because the better the coach, you know, uh, Mike Gundy is, we think, a really good coach. And so they play what, well, I, you know, I'm not sure if South Alabama won. Yeah, they're up to 1-1 one one now. Um, South Alabama was really good last year. Not sure how much they have returning. But they have South Alabama at home next week, Oklahoma State does, then Iowa State. So an excellent opportunity to go 4-0, in my opinion, in the month of September. That Iowa State game is going to be a rough one. It's also going to be a rerun of the game that they lost on their way to what could have been an undefeated regular season back in the 2021 season. That's the uh, you know, They're now going back to Iowa State for the first time since that contest. So Oklahoma State gets a big thumbs up for me for that performance you know, pick the quarterback though. I, I know Rangel's young, but I, I would go with Garrett Rangel, and I, I think that just throwing the football wise, like he might not be, at, you know, might not be as mobile sometimes, and uh, you know, he's got to learn how to be mobile and throw on the run, and you know, I think there's a bit worry about how he'll handle pressure, but arm strength wise, and you know, he was your closer, and like he didn't have to just be your closer, and so I, I think it's time to make the move to Rangel. I'm not saying all the guys played poorly, but I felt like the offense had the most punch. When he was in the game, they closed out really strong. And so that's why I want to see Garrett Rangel as the guy moving forward. I, I just chucked this in the rest, guys. So we'll go to the rest now. There is so much to get to from this weekend in the Big 12. Uh, massive result for UCF 18 to 16. They take down Boise State on the blue turf. Um, this was one of those games where it kind of showed you once again. John Rice Plumley is not the most accurate passer in the world, but he's a very good athlete, and they moved the football down the field enough late in this game, and they got themselves in field goal position. And despite the two interceptions that they had, and despite the fact that this was a low-scoring, uh, you know, slug-it-out game, and they lost the turnover battle, and they did not have the possession enough, and they were 4 of 11 on 3rd and 4th down combined, they end up winning this football game. They end up gaining 530 total yards of offense, and they ran the ball for 6.1 yards per carry, uh, or 6.3, excuse me, yards per carry, because they're able to effectively mix that running game up. They had some trick plays. You know, I think it's a reverse that worked. Um, you know, everybody, like the three main ball carriers, they had three guys who were above 10-plus carries, Rice Plumley, Harvey, 
and Richardson, and all of those guys rush for at least four and a half yards per carry. Right, and that's especially uh, John Rice Plumley, eleven for seventy-three. Now, am I totally sold on UCF? No, they they kind of got gashed the running game, and we've seen that this Boise State passing attack is not really great. So it's you know not a whole lot there to take from that. But the fact that you know you were able to get the two scores in the fourth quarter that gave me some hope. Right, you score a touchdown. Boy, you allowed the drive, touchdown drive after that, so you kind of didn't love that. But you get the ball back, you go fifty-eight yards down the field, you set up for a you know, 42-yard, uh, uh, what was the field goal ends up being at 42 yards? A 40-yard field goal to win the game. Gus Malzahn's group should be at 2-0. and And, you know, uh, I think, yeah, three of the new Big 12 teams now are now, uh, you know, a 2-0 undefeated. It's good to see. They get Villanova next week, UCF does, before they begin conference play. So a good chance for the Knights to be 3-0. and And I think, um, you know, I, I liked Boise State plus the points in this game at home. It was just kind of a good spot for them. But this is a really good, and they, they did cover, they did cover the three and a half, but uh, really good result for UCF to grind it out and win. There's still the concerns about John Rice Plumley as a passer, and that will affect them when they try to punch above you know their current weight class against the more top-level teams. The good news is for them, it's at KU, it's at Oklahoma, it's at Cincinnati, it's at Tech. You know, those are tough teams, but it's not like, they, you know, they're, they're not drawing, uh, you know, impossible assignments, I feel like, at this point in time. They do have two of the top three teams in the league. They're on the road, but it feels like UCF, with some momentum, a lot to clean up, though. All right, let's go back to Friday night for uh, another result. Kansas ends up getting a win against Illinois, 34-23. to This game was closer than it needed to be. KU still has a little bit of that old KU-ness about them, but they just were fantastic in the rushing game. Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw combined together for 22 carries. They combined for 218 rushing yards and two scores. And so on a night where the rushing attack was not great from Jalen Daniels, the, uh, th- those, guys, uh, those guys were fantastic. And they picked up some big, uh, some big moments later on in that game. They got, they got some really good, uh, really good blocking uh, to, you know, to keep moving the football. The issue was some of the turnovers kind of made this game closer later on than it needed to be. But Kansas did what they wanted to do, and that was dominate time of possession and execute. Nine for 13 on third down, some massive pickups along the way. And when this thing got close late, they were able to get, I think the guy was an interception, or they got... They got to stop late, whatever stop they needed there late. And they picked up some first downs, they're able to chew some clock, and just they condense the game on you. Once they kind of get in their rhythm and their flow, they can really condense the game on you. And if they get a lead like that, I mean, it was 34 7 at one point. Obviously, don't like the fact that they gave up, you know, 16 straight points. But still, they end up winning by double digits in a game where they allowed 16 straight to end the game, right? So that's really good stuff for KU. They're at 2-0. The first two have been at home. They travel on the road next week. They should beat Nevada. They should beat Nevada. But Jalen Daniels is back. It's good to see that. Still feel like we're at uh, maybe 85% Jalen Daniels at this point in time. Love that clip, though, of Jason being on the sideline saying, it's your time. I'm here if you need me, but it's your time. I love seeing that. Love seeing the, you know this culture that Lance Leipold has built at Kansas. Uh, also, in the Big 12 this weekend, uh, Kansas State just, you know, they they absolutely hammered Troy, except for the fact 
42-13, except for the fact that the running game is not where they want it to be at. Trayshawn Ward, DJ Giddens, you know, they weren't breaking off these massive runs. They were not getting explosive plays. And Troy had a def- decent defense last year, but Will Howard was really strong. And out, out of the part of this game that, that I caught, you know, uh, th- this game was 21-10 halftime, but still a 21-3 effort in the second half allowed K-State to spread this thing out. And I still think K-State, pretty solid, proving they're a top-three team in the Big 12. They're my number two right now. Huge test for them next week against Missouri. My Tigers barely escaping Middle Tennessee State. Yikes on that front. Uh, let's see. Oklahoma 28, SMU 11. We'll, we'll talk more about this tomorrow, but what in the hell are we doing with Art Bryles on the sideline? I know Je- Jeff Levy being a smug asshole. And then uh, I will say this again. Jeff Levy was a smug asshole after the game when somebody asked him about Art Bryles and he was like, um, you know, he's my father-in-law. Uh, I know he's actually my father-in-law and a grandfather to two of my kids, dude. You like you know why he knows what's going on. The reason why people off the are uh, off the Art Bryles coaching tree at certain points, especially Kendall and maybe Jeff Levy himself, are not head coaches, maybe because they're play calling sometimes, but also is because guys that uh, Art Bryles is a disgraced former head coach, and what happened there was unacceptable, and him on the sidelines at some point with Jeff Levy in Oklahoma gear is not acceptable. It's it's not. And and Oklahoma's leadership picked it up. The fans picked it up. Uh, the head coach picked it up. The athletic director picked it up. I mean, everybody except for Jeff Levy picked it up. It's being addressed, and I'm not going to harp on it too long. And I, It's not Oklahoma fans' fault. Um, you know, I, I saw uh, my man John Williams not pleased about this, not plussed about that situation. But Jeff Levy should know better, and I, I don't know how that got through. Uh, shame on shame on them for allowing that to happen, but I'm not going to get mad at like, most of the people involved. It just should not have happened. This was a slow burn. Dylan Gabriel was not excellent in this game. He throws for four touchdowns, but there was one point where he was like 8 for 13, or it was like 12 or 15 for like 88 yards. They were not getting big um Big chunks that they were able to run the ball somewhat effectively uh, between Major and Walker. Thought they had a pretty good day on the ground, uh, and Jackson Arnold came in and ran the football. But it feels like we might be trending towards a situation where Jackson Arnold gets some play. I mean, I think the question is: All right, if you are if you are Oklahoma, you think about the games where you measure yourself up, and you got that challenge coming up here in a couple weeks against Cincinnati. But Texas is the big game. I look at Texas yesterday. I look at Dylan Gabriel, what he's done, and I know it's seventy-three nothing last week. But remember, Oklahoma started off hot last year and then faltered against K State. I don't know how you look at Dylan Gabriel's performances and Oklahoma's team performances as a whole with him at the helm and say, yeah, yeah, we can beat Texas. Now I don't know if Jackson Arnold can. I think it's a lot to ask. I think that would be a lot to ask in that game, but. Uh, and they're going to ride with they're going to ride with I think ride with Dylan Gabriel, but it's unfair because like Jackson Arnold might be one of the special ones. He might be one of the, I think there's a chance that Jackson Arnold's one of the special ones. But you know I, I don't know if I, I mean I, if you're going to do it like now is the time, right? Now is the time to go Jackson Arnold. And I know we saw Caleb Williams come into a game against Texas and do it. But that was a different Texas team, different Texas defense. I don't think this Texas defense will give it up the way that team, that defense did back a couple years ago. So uh, I think they'll ride with Gabriel. Not positive they they should, but I think they'll ride with Dylan Gabriel. That was uh, some weird circumstances there. 
BYU 41-16. Keaton Slovis eventually does turn it on. It was a weird 6-3 game. Then it's the second quarter, an offensive explosion from this team, and they needed that badly, guys. Next week, they go and they play Arkansas. Arkansas had a weird one against Kent State, but that that's a huge game next week. Uh, for both those teams, uh, being in Arkansas, I mean, massive kind of measuring stick in BYU with some momentum. So that game becomes very interesting. But we'll see how they hold up because that defensive line for Arkansas is pretty strong. But that offensive line is one they can take advantage of. And we'll see if, if their defense can do it. Two weeks, they've played two lower teams, uh, not great teams, but still the defense for BYU has been pretty strong and this game you know is uh, i mean it was 27 to yeah, 27 to 3 at halftime um and four t- TFLs in this game no sacks though so that's something to watch there but uh yeah they need to bring the heat and, and be physical next week against KJ Jefferson and this Arkansas team they're taking on so not too much take they've played Sam Houston a team that's just moved up to CUSA and then Southern Utah obviously an FCS opponent El Asico, Iowa 20, Iowa State 13. Yeah, I love this play. And I mean, you know, it was, I mean, classic. Iowa gets, Iowa State gets a, Iowa rather gets a defensive touchdown. Iowa had the ball late with a chance to make something happen. They needed the big rally in the fourth quarter to get there. They did not get it. Look, guys, I'm not going to read too much into this Iowa team, Iowa State team rather. Um, You know, they were in this game. They actually did a lot more offensively, like better than Iowa. Iowa had nine first downs. Iowa State, uh, you know, was seven for thirteen on third down. Iowa was five of fourteen, but the big stops kind of came more on the Iowa's. Iowa gets the meaningful stops there in the end. Iowa commits zero penalties in this game, which is uh, pretty surprising. But classic low-scoring Cyhawk, and Iowa is the better team. Iowa State just a bit more depleted after the betting situation in that scenario, and I know Iowa affected them too, but Iowa State can't afford to lose guys uh, the way that, that Iowa can. West Virginia 56, Duquesne 17. Garrett Green throws for four scores in this game. It was a lightning delay. The second quarter was the big key. They need to get Garrett Green going in the passing game. Uh, you know, this is a lower level Duquesne team. Hudson Clement looked really good, obviously. Wide receiver, freshman, uh, you know, uh, he ends up having a massive night for him. Uh, catching three touchdowns, so that's obviously good to see a young man like that have a fantastic. I think they gave him a scholarship after the game, which is cool to see. But not much to take there from that game. Duquesne, not a great opponent. So there you go. Rice, 43. Houston, 41. Double overtime. I need a sip of water before I do this one. People. Friends, compatriots of Big 12 country. Dana Holgerson, brother, my friend. They get this massive win last week. And they come out this week and just get punched in the mouth. And it's the same, you know, I I have to be crass here, guys. It's the same old shit. It's the same old shit from a Houston team. The big knock on them, on Dana Holgerson teams especially, is Sometimes they look woefully unprepared. Last week, they were ready for the fight against UTSA. Their defense was ready for the fight against Jeff Trailer's UTSA offense, against Frank Harris. They, they outdueled him. They got the critical stops they needed to. The offense grinded, and they got a massive win. This week, 
everyone admitted it across the board that they overlooked Rice. And so as much goodwill and positive momentum that you built up last week, and this is a Houston team that because they played UTSA and got the win, Rice and TCU at home, which we have some questions about, and Sam Houston, had a chance to rack up three wins in the month of September here, the first four weeks of September. This is a massive, massive loss. And this is a loss, guys, that if you look back, and might you know, there's plenty of losses along the way that have told the story of Dana Holgerson at Houston to this point. But this is one of those losses that when you look back at the season in its totality, what you will say is, yep, that's one of the losses that when Holgerson's out of a job and Houston's looking for a new guy, that this is one of the reasons why. Being woefully unprepared and not able to get your season off to the 2-0 start that it should be at because you got outplayed by Rice is unacceptable at the University of Houston. Absolutely unacceptable. And look, you get into overtime games, and we saw it last week. Like, you get to the overtime roulette, and you're only 25 yards out, so you should score. But if you get the two, and you, or you get the touchdown, and they don't, you know, and, and you don't get the two, and they do, and whatever. Like, it, we saw at Texas Tech, once again, you lose. Now, Chad JT Daniels, they were fantastic. You know, he threw for 400 yards and three touchdowns on this game, but it should not have been 28 to 7. Uh, you know, I, that, that can, uh, 28-0 rather, right? You cannot be down 28-0 to Rice. That is a lack of focus. That is absolutely a lack of focus. And it was almost 35-7 heading to half. Thank God they got interception and kind of stabbed the tide. But that cannot, absolutely cannot happen at, at Houston. And all that goodwill, it's been knocked away and then some almost more though in the wrong direction. So Dana Holgerson and Houston Firmly back in the crosshairs, I think. You know, I'm not saying that win against UTSA puts you in a great spot. You know, it's not all you need to do, but you beat UTSA, you take care of Rice, and then you play TCU and you see what happens. Like, there is some positive momentum to the program, and that is gone. And then this team battling for a bowl game, this is one of those you just cannot drop. Finally, uh, TCU 41, Nichols 6. Not a lot to you know. Not a lot to go off here. I mean, this was you know uh, they kind of put it on them late to make the scoreline look a little bit different. I mean, heading into the fourth quarter of this game, it was twenty-four to six. They got a couple scores there. Score seventeen points in that fourth quarter. The running game was not fantastic uh, for TCU in this one. They allowed seven tackles for loss against Nichols. So this TCU team up front might be their big issue. I think we're starting to see a little bit of that. We did get to see a little bit of Josh Hoover in this game. He was 2 of 3 for 50 yards, touchdown, and an interception as well. So that's, that's kind of the guy behind him, and I think it's a pretty good uh, – it stands to reason why he is behind Chandler Morris, but also a little bit concerned about that situation as well. All right, that will do it for this edition of the Neighborhood Watch. That is your Sunday recap. Leave us your thoughts on the weekend. Leave us your questions as well. Might bump a mailbag to Monday or Tuesday now just to get some of those questions in. So let us know what you thought of this weekend in the Big 12 Conference. All right, folks, make sure you follow us on Twitter at JoshNeighbors underscore at NWPod365. Make sure you find us wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube as well. All right, folks, till tomorrow. See you.